when Butler's statement felt so old fashioned, it felt like this was some ancient man who just does not understand how the world works. This is Sound and Vision for KXP. I'm Rachel Stevens. This podcast piece is going to be a bit different. It's an extended version of a piece we ran on air recently. Nothing graphic, but we will be talking about sexual harassment for the story. Last weekend, Pitchfork released an article about three women and one non-binary person claiming Will Butler, the lead singer of Arcade Fire, had sexually harassed them. When Butler responded in the article itself, and you can check that out and read that if you want to, but I wanted to talk to other women about this article. And I want to say that I didn't realize how badly I needed to talk to other women about this until I did. And to reiterate, this is just a conversation. There's not a lot of music in it. There aren't very many clips. It's a conversation about the music industry and about sexual harassment and about checking in with each other. So here we go. I started us off by talking about my reaction to the Pitchfork piece. I read this article and my stomach dropped. I had to take like a full-on depression nap the next day. And uh, then I read all the comments on all of these articles and all the social media. And I just honestly got really pissed off. I'm kind of sick of men telling me how to feel in these situations and how all these women and people were over 18. So it was legal. So... I wanted to bring together a group of women in the music industry to talk about sexual misconduct and abuse of power in said industry. So here I have Alexandra Brodsky, a civil rights lawyer and author of the new book, Sexual Justice. Hi, Alexandra. Hi, thanks for for having me as part of this conversation. Yeah. Jill Krajewski, a culture writer based in Toronto, whose work has appeared in Vulture, Spin, Pitchfork, and more. Thanks for being here, Jill. Thank you so much. Ashley McDonald, KXP DJ, DJ Miss Ashley, and head of our 90.10 Youth Mentorship Program. Ashley, so happy to see you. Thanks, Rachel. And Evie Stokes, DJ Evie, uh, KXP DJ, who has played Arcade Fire more than any other woman DJ on KXP besides Cheryl Waters and just Arcade Fire fan, fellow fan and awesome friends. Thanks so much for being here, Evie. Hi. Jill, you're in Canada. Had you ever heard anything like this about Wynn Butler or, or did you he- learn about it along with the rest of us? So I'm based in Toronto and I learned uh, the minute the Pitchfork article dropped. But however, there have been many women and reporters and uh, non-binary people in Montreal to have since come out to say, oh, we've been t- telling each other. We've been warning each other. And there's also been uh, outcry from New Orleans where women in the service industry uh, have said on Twitter that they had been passing around similar stories in their whisper network. So there was certainly a contingent of people in Montreal and New Orleans, two places where Wynn Butler resides or frequents that were aware. Uh, it's it's great that Pitchfork got it out. It's also uh, unfortunate to, to me that uh, Canadian media who were ostensibly aware of this uh, didn't act sooner. So kudos to Pitchfork for getting these important stories out there. Yeah, yeah. I saw that you actually put something up on on Twitter about how the BBC or a BBC station had decided to just stop playing Arcade Fire altogether. Can you tell me a little bit about that? 
Yes. So uh, in Canada, CBC Music, CBC is kind That's of like Canada, BBC. <laughs> all good, all good. The, the comparison is valid. So uh, Canada's uh, CBC Music vertical of our uh, major uh, public broadcaster has uh, hit pause on playing any Arcade Fire. Uh, Canada's only dedicated indie uh, radio station, Indie 88, has also pulled Arcade Fire. And uh, it's looking like a number of other radio stations in the U.S. and are uh, starting to follow suite. I think that this is a a good form of protest. Uh, radio play can be a source of royalties for a band. So uh, any any point of contact with Arcade Fire to challenge uh, them to do better, but especially to keep the focus on for Wynn Butler to do better and take accountability is good pressure. Yeah. Um, Evie and Ashley, y'all both have shows on Sunday. Ashley, how did you feel about this news and this breaking news and like how, I guess, to both of you as DJs on air, like how do you take this kind of news and, and what if any plan of action do you go forward with about playing these artists? Well, I'll preface this by saying I don't play Arcade Fire very much, at least not anymore. I used to, but I feel like in general, these types of stories are just becoming more common and we're, we're faced with this kind of regularly. Now we have a thread going between amongst all the DJs at KEXP um, where we, we add to this thread anytime something like this happens so that it, all the DJs can be aware and make their own decisions. That's kind of the other thing um, about KEXP is we have a lot of freedom. So ultimately it's up to each DJ to decide for themselves how they react to this news and how they go forward with their own programming of their shows. So, yeah, I guess I just feel like it's another one added to the list. Yeah. Evie, how are you feeling as somebody who does play arcade fire? Usually request from me um (laughs) (laughs) like how are you feeling about all this uh I feel pretty bad honestly um and I saw you know I saw for the first time this news um through a friend's like Instagram story and my stomach dropped sort of the same way that you felt um for a few reasons and unlike Ashley (laughs) I I do love Arcade Fire and play them often um kind of focusing on like a couple albums ago back. Uh, but I have always loved them as a band. And for whatever reason, I don't know why I thought that Wynn Butler would not be a person that is a story about this. Like, you know, but I, um, I don't know why I felt that way because there, I, it seems like that just continues to happen. Like you, you, at this point, I feel like I should almost expect it from, yeah. from most people. Um, and I'm really sick of seeing these stories constantly, like Ashley said, we have this chain um, with the pre, you know, with the programming team at KEXP of all of these, you know, I, I was looking through it yesterday and it's all male musicians that have done these sort of things and are being called out for it for good reason. And it's, it's really, it's really disheartening to watch that chain grow and grow It's people that you admire, whose art that you love just turn out to be dirt bags. Yeah. And no. Nobody wants to see a late 30s man sending you know what picks 
to an 18 year old. Like it's, it's, it's gross. I know. And that's where we get to this like legality kind of part of it, which like Alexandra, you were quoted throughout this article. Um, you have this new book called sexual justice. Can you speak a little bit to like what this book is about and what, and kind of how you were brought into this, this article? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So in my day job, I do a lot of sexual harassment work on the victim side. And I wrote this book, Sexual Justice, in part because I felt like every time a famous man was accused of sexual harassment, the conversation so quickly turned from focusing on the survivors and what they needed to talking about, well, you know, are we being fair to him? Have we given him due process? Um, You know, shouldn't we just you know, assume until he's been convicted in a court of law that he's innocent. And I think that that just really confuses the issues of like, yeah, Win Butler is not going to go to prison tomorrow because people on the internet are mad at him. Uh, and that's right. Um, but we as consumers of mu- music, as people in the world making choices about how we live our lives day to day, we make decisions all the time without a court saying, here's exactly what happened, you know? Um, I didn't need Harvey Weinstein to be convicted to know that I had heard enough to think that he had probably done it. Um, And we make decisions in our personal lives like that all the time. You know, you hear that someone in your social circle is being a creep to people. You can make the decision to not invite them to your parties without, you know, pressing a legal case. And so I'm a lawyer. No, I care about law. But I think that sometimes our conversations about sexual ethics Uh, about culture become too legalistic in ways that aren't really appropriate. Totally. And how have you seen, Alexandra, the difference between the music industry, the entertainment industry, the film industry? You know, somebody brought up that in politics, we don't hear about this stuff as much because people are signing NDAs that they could get like really, you know, they could lose a lot of money, you know, and it's already hard to come forward about these kinds of things. Um, But I'm just so interested in what the difference you see in the music industry and other industries, or if, you know, this is the only place this is happening like this. You know, I think that sexual harassment happens in all contexts. I think it is particularly likely to happen in contexts where there are really serious power differentials. Um, And that's obviously going to be true in the music industry. It's also true in, you know, in film and politics elsewhere. And one of the things that's tough about, how do I put this, sort of informal power dynamics, where it's not, you know, this person is the boss and this person is the employee, but rather this person is famous and this person is a fan, is that law doesn't really apply neatly in those contexts. And I should say there are some laws that do, you know, sexual assault is illegal in every context, but civil rights laws, which are really the best laws at picking up on those power dynamics, on understanding when it is that a person might want to say no, but can't. Uh, Those tend to apply, at least in the U.S., more to uh, formal arrangements like employer-employee or teacher-student. I have tickets to the Arcade Fire show in um, November here in Seattle. And Jill, I want to ask you if you have any plans, if you had tickets, if you're a ticket-holding member... um, But something that was really powerful to me is that Arcade Fire started their world tour this past week in Ireland to a sold-out show, correct? And like people showed up. Feist opened up for for them. She has since uh, decided to leave the tour. But they started with the song Wake Up and people, people were cheering. People were, were, were there and they were showing up. And I... 
I am not even one of these victims and I felt gaslighted. Like, what is going on? And so I want to ask you, Jill, like, how are you feeling about all of this? How are you feeling about the tour and the shows? And um, if you are a ticket holding member and what you think that people should be doing at these, like, these concerts and around this tour? While I have been a ticket holder to many an Arcade Fire show in Montreal and Toronto in the past, uh, I didn't already have tickets for this coming tour, but I, I if you, even if I did, I just wouldn't be able to go. It would feel like such a betrayal and uh, also to to be there physically for for Wynn Butler it, it is to not be there spiritually standing for the victims who have come forward and the victims who likely have not been able to come forward. We're seeing uh, a number of people on Twitter share their own screenshots of text messages that they say that Wynn had sent them and it follows the same playbook of saying, hush, hush, keep this our little secret, uh, which is uh, a playbook that uh, abusers have used, uh, and it's it's infuriating to see this cycle happen over and over again. Uh, in the case of Feist leaving Arcade Fire's tour, uh, I really commend her for it. That's the strongest statement that she can make at this time against Wynn Butler. I say that uh, also being mindful that uh, members of Arcade Fire's own touring party or perhaps own band, let's say they wanted to walk away given the allegations that have come out, given the pitchfork investigation. The music industry is a legal quagmire, not just with uh, NDAs, as uh, you were all discussing earlier, but with uh, contracts and breakage and clauses. So it's it's it could be one possibility is that people more than just Feist want to leave, want to speak out a little louder, but are intimidated by the specter of a legal threat, or perhaps they're not in a financial position to break a contract right now. So I do, I, I have grown to become more sympathetic of uh, people who are perhaps more dependent on the tour financially or out of fear for uh, reprisal in their own career. But with a person like Feist, who has relative power and influence, I'm really happy to see that she used that uh, to to the benefit of standing up for the victims and every other person who's been in this position wanting to see people walk away from an environment where there may be abuse or an abuser. Uh, in terms of what current ticket holders should do, uh, it would be my stance to say walk away. Uh, fans in Dublin definitely were in a trickier position. The news is still also getting out. I saw it from one person who said, oh, no, I only found out about the Pitchfork investigation into Wynn Butler uh, when I was already at the show. Oh, damn it. Um, but at the same time, I've seen people make the decision to, to go and then tweet what was happening so the rest of the world watching nervously were able to take in if it was normalcy or not. And surprise, surprise, normalcy for a man with serious allegations against him. Uh, another infuriating pattern. It's really like a like a sexual misconduct allegation bingo card at this point. <laughs> we're still on. Uh, band hasn't said anything. Uh, no actual taking of accountability by the accused here. We're, we are sick of this cycle. So it, with fans who have 
further time to get a refund, get around Ticketmaster's arcane, greedy policies, uh, I would advise those fans to try and get their refund if go if the thought of going there makes them sick. And if you are going there, I've seen, I've seen. Uh, I think I agree with the sentiment that if you have to go, boo, please boo for us who cannot <laughs> in person. Boo for those who can't. Um, <laughs> Ashley, you and I have talked a little bit about separating the art from the artist. Is that something that that you're able to do that you've been able to do with any other artist? Um, some I some that I think about often that I still hear in the bar all the time is. Uh, Ryan Adams is played everywhere, and um, and he had um, a few young women come forward and talk about his abuse of power. And you know, something that I think is really interesting is that a couple years ago, Natalie Portman came forward and was like, "Moby was super creepy to me," and everyone else was like, "Oh, okay," and like, like that wasn't like probably happening with other women who were not in as much power as Natalie Portman. So, anyway, like. This is happening a lot, as you said. Have you been able to separate the art from the artist at all? For these people who like love Arcade Fire's music and it's meant a lot to them, asking for a friend. Like, is there a way to separate the art from the artist? This is something I think about a lot. And I think it's it's really tricky. Um, and I've heard this idea of separating the art from the artist. And in theory, that's what we're doing right now, right? Like, there's a whole lot of people that love Arcade Fire's music. And now we have to separate this love for their music and talk about what they're doing outside of their music. So we are separating the art from the artist right now. And we're figuring out that, well, I guess, I mean, for me, it's not that hard because there are so many musicians making incredible music and I only have a three hour show once a week. And so finding <laughs> music to fill that slot is not hard. If I have to like cross a few artists or bands off my list, and not play them on my show, it's not that hard of a decision for me because there's plenty to fill that space. Evie, I wanted to ask you about like um, if you would ever consider playing Arcade Fire again or if, um, you know, I know you had or what your reaction was to the Feist comment. Um, I know that she, you were trying to track her down for an interview for something else, you know, like, and so you've been doing some research about her and just kind of wanted to get your feel about the mute about this in the, in the music world, in your world. I had heard nothing about when being this way. I had no idea. So when Jill just said that, said that um, people have known for some time, I, I truly had no idea. And when I was, you know, thinking about this, I just, I don't think I'll be playing Arcade Fire anymore. No, because I, um, the majority of the time, or I always try to make, as a KEXP DJ, try to make the airwaves like a safe and enjoyable and, and, um, lovely place to be, like to be a part of, right? And I think um, that these sort of stories are really hurtful and triggering for for people. And I don't want that to be, I don't want to be representing that to the world. And I, I the same sort of thing happened with me uh, with Ryan Adams. I was a huge Ryan Adams fan. And when that story came out um, about the way that, that he was like an actual predator on women, um, felt like a punch to the stomach in the same, sort of in the same way that this Win Butler one did, but even more so. And I think because of, um, because I'd felt so emotionally attached to his music for so long, but had also heard kind of like these stories about how big of an asshole he really was. Um, 
And I know that he's, you know, Ryan's had substance abuse issues and claims that he's working on those, but that really doesn't excuse that abuse of power that he had for so long. Oh, I just wanted to point out that when Butler also said that he had substance abuse problems, he was depressed. He also mentioned his wife's regime's miscarriage as a part of like going into depression. And I hope I'm not outing you, Evie, but you are in recovery. I mean, and you, I, not that I've known, but you haven't sexually abused or assaulted anyone, you know, like, (laughs) yeah, I, um, I certainly have never been a perfect person, but substance abuse and also suffering a miscarriage myself did not cause me to go out and act out inappropriately sexually. So that part, I like, I understand that we all deal with tragedy in different ways. And I'm, I'm sure it was, was difficult for him and the other side to experience these things, but that just, you know, reading that explanation, it doesn't excuse this sort of behavior. So it's hard for me, like Ashley was saying, it's hard for me to separate the art from the artist in the way that like, I don't want to be sharing those things with the world, um, giving these people royalties, giving them any platform if they're going to be horrible people. You know, it's hard for me to play like Mark from Sun Kill Moon. Um, I I don't play, I I don't play him anymore. I don't play Ariel Pink. I don't play Michael Jackson because those things are just, those artists are just not people that I want to give a platform to. Alexandra, I want to ask you um, for help. I want to ask advice. Like, um, like it's hard. Part of the reason that I think that I get so fired up about this is that it's not black and white. You know, it's not And this feels just like a way that the, I don't know, the, our society's general nature, like branched out a bit, you know, it just feels so normal. And it's hard to hear these women say like, I I guess I should have seen this or I should have expected this. And that's my fault that I didn't realize it, you know? Feist in her statement about uh, stepping back from this tour talks about how she's experienced stuff like this, not with Wim Butler, but like as a woman, like these things happen. Like as all music lovers that I'm looking at here, I'm sure we've all been like semi groupies on big fans of people. And, um, and being a big fan shouldn't mean that you are a vulnerable target. Do you have advice for women in the music industry? Do you have it like advice for for people in these kinds of situations, fans, I guess? Yeah. I mean, look, it's a really big question. And I will say that something that gives me comfort when trying to approach really big questions about like, how do we fix like a culture of a culture of sexual violence and sexual disrespect is to really think about the specific role that we play. And so you know, I, you know, I, I really appreciate the thought that, you know, DJs have a particular responsibility not to play these songs in a way that, frankly, like, I don't really care if people are listening behind closed doors because DJs are in the position to sort of send a message to listeners about, am I okay with this conduct or not? You know, do I, are my commitments first and foremost to survivors or not? Um, and so, you know, for for me, you know, I think for a lot of people, the primary way that they're going to relate to sexual harm, sexual violence is either as survivors themselves or as people who whether or, know they, whether or not they know it are talking to survivors. 
um, you know, when talking about, well, you know, are you going to go to the concert or not with friends, whether or not you know it, you're probably talking to people for whom this is personal and saying, I'm not going to do this. You know, like, I don't want to, I don't want to stand up for this guy. I don't want to tolerate this is telling the other people in your circle, if, and when you confide in me that something like this has happened to you, I'm going to be on your side. I'm going to be there for you. And I think personally, you know, I don't think that there is any magic solution for how women can avoid sexual harassment. You know, I think that's sort of a myth sometimes we tell ourselves because it makes us feel like, oh, we're different from the ones who get hurt. You know, we're, we're smarter. We're, you know, more careful when um, there's, I think that there's not a way to prevent that. I think that in some ways, um, the primary message I would have for people, uh, it is just to feel confident that they understand their experiences, that that feeling of like something here is wrong is to be trusted um, and uh, to seek support in, you know, sorting that out, making yourself safe. Um, you know, if, if, if you, if you're, you know, they have the have the, the community to do that with. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, what I'm hearing is that uh, men need to step up. And uh, do some better things. These policies, like from the from the top to the bottom, from our personal level, being able to be open and honest with how we feel, and that we're not going to support these artists in any way, um, is so important. But also, Ticketmaster, give me my money back. Like, also, men start calling out your colleagues, you know, um, and standing up for these victims, and no retaliation in any regard. Um, I want to ask everybody, like, this has been a hard week. This has just been a hard life in uh, in this industry. Is there anything, is there any artist or anything that's giving you hope right now? Jill, is there anything that's giving you hope right now? Ooh, that's a tricky question to, to find an answer to in uh, 2022. <laughs> if anything, uh, I think... Uh, other women have been uh, the most encouraging because it's very hard to speak out, uh, especially hardest to speak out uh, as a if people are victims of sexual assault, uh, harassment, or otherwise. It's also hard to speak out, um, particularly in we know how nepotism works in the music industry, but especially in Canada's music industry where it's much smaller, the power is much more concentrated, and there's two levels where people fear loss of uh, their livelihood or opportunities or even their safety for speaking out. And um, any, and then you have the level where you, uh, the people who are way too comfortable and have way too much influence simply don't speak out to play nice with their personal professional contacts. So in that quagmire, especially uh, speaking out can come with a lot of uh, stress mentally, uh, a lot of pressure, a lot of other nitpickers and detractors. So I've found the most strength in uh, confiding in other women and vice versa about uh, like saying, ugh, sucks is, is one thing to yourself, but to have a group of women who are supporting each other uh, and even just as a place to vent, as a place to organize, it's it's honestly given me a lot of strength to have a lot of conversations with women in the, in the past few days and certainly the coming days about um, all of these ways that men need to step up, all these ways people in power with influence need to step up uh, because we need to speak out and step out for those who can't. Thank you. Evie, anything that's giving you hope these days? 
Um, what Jill said. <laughs> I would say just conversations like these, the fact that there's, um, that I know women like everyone in this conversation who are on the same page, um, and can have open and honest conversations about it, kind of share the way that we feel that gives me a lot of hope. Yay. Uh, Ashley, same question. Anything giving you hope? Definitely echo that, but also like, I have a lot of hope in the youth. I have children of my own, so I'm really like, pushing for this next generation to like make the change and not just on this topic on a lot of topics. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, so I think the youth, you know, I, pressures on youth, like you guys, <laughs> you guys are going to make the difference in this world, you know? And I think the, the more we can uphold them and support them, um, the better. And I just want to say too, like bottom line, this has always been on my mind over the last several years. Like when you're in this industry, whether it be acting or playing music, if you have any kind of position of power where you're seen by a lot of people famous on any level, you have a responsibility. You have to take that seriously. And I, and if you're not, then that you're, you're not in the right business. You know, it's just, yeah, you have to take your role seriously and be a good person. <laughs> be a good role model. Just be better. All right, Alexandra, same question for you. And hoping if, and also let us know if there's any like policies giving hope too. Like, I want to know what's giving you hope personally, but like as a lawyer, is there any hope that we can hold on to for uh, what's happening legally maybe even? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's been a lot of legal and policy energy around sexual harassment, really, for you know the last what, five years uh, since sort of the reemergence of Me Too, and I think that that's exciting. But I really have to echo that it gives me a lot of hope that when Butler's statement felt so old-fashioned, it felt like this was some ancient man who just does not understand how the world works. I think the reason why it sounds that way is actually that young people are so far ahead of like where I was when I was a teenager in terms of what is, uh, you know, what is respectful sex look like? How should we treat each other? That like, I think a 16 year old can look at that statement and be like, what is wrong with this guy? Um, and that I think is, I think that, that is a good thing that we need like these dudes to age out. Yeah. And um, I'm like excited for the coming sexual regime. Yeah. I, um, there was this one part of the article uh, that they were talking about, like, hey, did you know how old this this woman was? And he was like, yeah, I Googled her and found out she was 18. Like, it was an excuse. Like, he was like, yeah, I'm good. You know, I went into it reading his statement being like, please let there be, like, real things in here. Because, you know, I am a huge Win Butler fan. I dressed my baby up like Win Butler a couple years ago. And it... Yeah. And I've seen them a lot and big fan. So anyway, I went into his statement being like, please let there be something here. Please let it, you know, there be some redemption or something. And it really, I got to the end and then I immediately checked in with my friends and was like, that was icky. Right. And they were like, yeah, that was icky. And so having that kind of solidarity, you're right, is very hopeful. If I may, Rachel, to, since you brought up the term groupie earlier, uh, I know that sometimes women have used it like self-deprecatingly if they're obsessed with a band. I, I'm glad that the term Stan exists now, frankly, to be that yeah. for uh, 
obsession and passion with an artist you love. Uh, I've found that the word, uh, the term groupie has been slung about uh, ever since the Pitchfork's investigation into when Butler broke to then uh, have victim blaming or be uh, used as this tool to, I don't know, justify when reaching out to women who were uh, 10 years younger than him or more initially. And it's, it's really gross to see groupie used as uh, a means of belittling women and giving justification to uh, predatory men. And I hope to see that change. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. I have been using that as like a, I was a groupie kind of thing. And um, I have no idea how that term had been used. And also it reminds me of this part of this article where, uh, when tried to put down a woman that he slept with, one of these young women that he slept with, um, by saying like, she had a tattoo of my band and I thought that was really weird. I'm like, F- you dude, you saw that tattoo when you had her naked. He tried to use that fandom as a point against this woman. And I just hate that. That that was just another tone deaf part of his his statement. And and thank you for bringing that up, that this is being used against women and, or as a point to say like, well, she was asking for it, which is just absolutely wrong. Cool. Well, not cool, but thank y'all so much for doing this and being here. I I really appreciate each one of you. It was much easier than I thought it was going to be. So thanks, Rachel. Yeah, same. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks everybody. That was Sound and Vision. Thanks so much for listening and for being a part of the conversation. Please rate and review this podcast. It really helps the work we do here get heard and seen. And take care of yourself and each other. For KXP, I'm Rachel Stevens.